The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 372 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is success in advocacy by FASD family caregivers. Now, a bit of background. The, the, the World Health Organization, in its 2014 publication, long title, Guidelines for the Identification and Management of Substance Use and Substance Use Disorders in Pregnancy, recognized fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, that's FASD, as a range of physical and brain-related developmental abnormalities attributed to the effects of alcohol on the unborn child, that is, the fetus. Now, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders last a lifetime. They create various distinct challenges throughout the stages of life, early childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, mature adulthood. They create challenges for family caregivers throughout all those stages. Family are Families are particularly, particularly challenged by the point that there's no cure, uh, though there are some medications and behavior therapy which may help, but there's no one treatment that's right for everyone. And all of this is why our topic, success in advocacy by FASD family caregivers, is so important for family caregivers. To discuss it, our guests are Tim Windle and David Gerry. Tim is the biological father of two daughters, of which the youngest, 28, is affected by FASD. He and his wife of 20 years, Bob, have experienced many challenges, such as lack of support in raising an FASD-affected daughter. In dealing with a system that does not have the understanding required to adequately support his daughter and others like her, Tim, he, Tim, has become an outspoken advocate for her and the others. He partnered with Jessica Hutton-Rantala to create a proposal to the government of British Columbia for a new system which, after months of negotiation, was accepted and supported by four different government agencies. Staff were trained and hired, and the program opened to three young women on December 1, 2014. Now, David, with his BSc in Biology and Psychology, began his intensive home study of applied learning, 
and as that's what he calls it, in the field of FASD as a direct result of becoming a foster parent to two children with FASD. In 2000, he founded a charity, the FASD Community Circle Victoria, to develop programs and services for people, those with FASD. The Circle set up the first children's multidisciplinary FASD clinic on Vancouver Island, Canada. The Circle also set up the first multidisciplinary FASD clinic for at-risk women. He, David, co-chairs the advisory committee of Her Way Home, a comprehensive support program for pregnant and early parenting women who struggle with substance use. And David co-founded the International Living with FASD Summit. So welcome to the show, Tim and David. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Gordon. to be here with you again and with Tim. Great. So let's go. Starting with you, Tim, first, please. Please tell us more about your life and your experience with family caregiving for one member of the family living with FASD. Tim? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Gordon, for allowing me to be part of your program, first off. And um, I just want to start out to say that when I refer to I, um, it really re- is referring to both my wife, Barbara, and myself, who is very supportive and has helped me through this uh, ordeal. So uh, I am the father of three girls, and the youngest one was affected by FASD. Uh, We had no idea that she was affected with a disability until she was around 18 years of age. So before that, we knew she had struggles and challenges in school and with different social aspects of her life, uh, but we couldn't put a finger on on what was causing that. So it was back in about 2004 that we first learned what FASD was. She was diagnosed with it through Sunny Hill Hospital in British Columbia, and at that point began the journey of, of trying to find um, support for her and, and get things in place and understand what FASD was all about. So at that point, we contacted the ministry responsible for supporting people with disabilities only to find out uh, that she didn't meet the criteria. They weren't sure, you know, with FASD, the supports weren't in place, so it was kind of put back to us as parents and caregivers to deal with it. Um, so we spent the next six years uh, trying to, to figure out what to do and, and how to best uh, uh, support her. And in this time, you know, we struggled. We struggled as a family. We struggled as caregivers. And there was a lot of frustration on her part, of course. Um, and during this period, she turned to substance abuse to kind of self-medicate, so which complicated things a lot for us. Um, and it's, through the six years, there's a lot of times where you could probably find me in the corner in the fetal position because uh, yeah. it, it was very difficult. And, um, you know, as, as hard as I tried, it, it didn't seem to be helping her too much. Right. So just, now, Tim, I'm just going to stop you, not because I want to uh, keep you quiet, but because I want to move on to the other questions. But you're going to get a chance, a very strong chance to expand on what you've just been saying. Absolutely. So, David, over over to you just please, with the next one. Please tell us more about your life and experience with family caregiving for two family members living with FASD. Thanks. Uh, My introduction to the world of FASD began somewhat accidentally. My wife uh, was working in child protection in 1999, and she had for several years two young kids who at the time were seven and nine on her caseload. She was doing supervised access 
And uh, we were asked, and uh, they moved into our home in 2000. And at first, we struggled an awful lot. For the first year, it was really seemed like it was uphill. There was, of course, good times and laughter and mem- memorable moments. But overall, it was quite a struggle. And from the time uh, we realized it was FASD uh, until uh, we actually received um, a visit uh, and a clinic visit, it took 30 months. And, you know, this is Canada. It's supposed to be universal health care. Can you imagine as an MD having to wait for, a, for a, even an assessment or diagnose 30 months for any serious lifelong condition? So that set my feet on the path. That was just unacceptable. In that 30 months, there was so many uh, school suspensions and avoidable situations. Had there been a diagnosis, there would have been resource, and with resource, there would have been much better outcomes. As you said in your intro, uh, that really motivated me with others set up a charity that set up the first pediatric clinic on the island and then a women's uh, diagnostic and assessment clinic. And so um, I think that it's uh, the actions like Tim and perhaps myself that have taken that the service doesn't exist and so you just have to go out and create it because you can't afford to wait for the systems with, to, to respond with Tim every time his daughter would overdose and then get hopeful about a, a, another program and another, another false start made it worse and worse. So as parents, we just don't have the luxury of quitting. I guess we're the ever-ready bunnies. Right. Now, I'm going to move you to the next question. Um, first, it's the same question for you, both, for you both, in fact, but starting with Tim. Please tell us just briefly more about your work in advocacy for treatment programs for FASD. Tim? Okay, I became involved in the advocating for treatment program out of necessity. Um, like David alluded to, there, there is nothing in place for these individuals with FASD and substance abuse. Um, so we searched all over, really, North America to find a suitable program. My daughter had been through many, many rehab programs and came out the other end with the same result. She failed or they blamed it on her that she's not trying. Um, so I asked the government, you know, what do you have for these individuals, this huge gap in services? And their answer was, there is really nothing. So after kind of um, talking with uh, David Gary and Jessica Hutton-Rantella, we all kind of developed a proposal to build it. If it doesn't exist, we must build it. Um, so that's exactly what I did. Uh, it, it took a lot, lot of time and a lot of uh, negotiating with the governments. Uh, but uh, Jessica and myself were relentless. We had a clear vision on what we wanted, and uh, we went to the government and we uh, tirelessly advocated on behalf of these young ladies, and, and we, and we uh, did get that to come to fruition on December 1st of 2014. It's running right now, and it's uh, working very well, not without bias. Right. Now, I'm going to David with the same question. Please tell us more about your work in advocacy for treatment programs for FASD. When we found out that it was FASD we were dealing with, it began a very, very steep learning curve for us. And one of the uh, most helpful things I did on a regular basis was go to FASD conferences in Vancouver where I found lots of resources and people to connect with. And a few years ago with a partner, I was wondering why all that wonderful knowledge that parents really need but is virtually inaccessible. The conferences are expensive to attend and so on, and people don't have that opportunity very often when they're in the, the trenches parenting kids with FASD. So with a partner, um, I, we created a, a website and a web, webinars, 
And um, I met Tim as a result of the webinar called Living with FASD in, uh, in 2013. He posted a request in the Facebook group thinking, uh, asking for help, a plea to find an FASD-informed treatment program for his daughter. I naively thought I could just make a few, few phone calls, and as, as you've heard, there is nothing in North America, despite the fact that uh, maybe half of the people the research shows that have FASD have addiction issues. So uh, in our 2014 uh, webinar called Living with FASD, six of the speakers, and including Tim, are experts to try and provide this knowledge and, and a resource where there very is very little that exists now. So if the listeners are interested, they can hear uh, Tim and six others by going to livingwithfasd.com slash addictions, and you'll also find lots of resources there. And I think that uh, sort of in closing here, Tim has been very effective, and, and as a parent, uh, you can take inspiration from that because he has moved the government and there is a program running. So, yes, addiction is a serious problem, and especially in your family, but uh, Tim is quite an inspiration here because he has got the government to cooperate and his daughters and two others are receiving the services they need. Excellent. Now, we've reached the time for the break, so we'll take that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Tim Windle and David Gary. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support. Surprise you. Ask the experts. Call toll free right now. 1 866 472 5787. And ask our all star team to answer your questions. That's 1 866 472 5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg 
at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tim Windle and David Gerry. Our topic is Success in Advocacy by FASD Family Caregivers. Now, both of you, let's talk about the challenges that in your experience and knowledge are the most challenging for family members living with FASD and for their family caregivers. So starting with you, Tim, please, please highlight for us the most challenging of the challenges created for the one family member who lives with FASD. Tim? Well, I think uh, there's there's many challenges that, that, are, that she faces and... Um, Probably the, the the biggest one would be living with frustration of not being of not uh, living in an environment that she is not really understood, where not many people are educated in FASD, so they misdiagnose her behaviors or misinterpret them. Um, I think this maturity is a big one that she's not able to connect with friends her own age, um, and that kind of starts when they're young, and as they get older, that this maturity and the difference between the age groups um, becomes more apparent and obviously more frustrating for her. Um, and also not being able to articulate what her needs are, you know, and, and, and I help her with that through asking questions, but sometimes she can't get there and she needs help to articulate exactly what behaviors are, you know, being caused by. Um, and, of course, not fitting in, feeling lonely and rejected, and those are absolute real, real feelings of, of, of the disability and the feeling that she's not connected with the rest of the world. And, of course, the vulnerability that she she uh, is living with, being taken advantage of, and just really not having access to pseudo-support. There's that one point where she had 60 critical incident reports over a six-month period in care um, with very little done to support that or change that outcome. I can't imagine how frustrating that would be for her. And it, as a family caregiver, watching that is very hurtful. And we really have to change how we're dealing with this, this segment of the population. Tim, thanks for that. And we're going to talk about what we must do later on in this in this episode. But now to David. Well, please highlight for us the most challenging of the challenges created for two family members who both live with FASD. David? One of, one of the things that's uh, deceiving to people who don't uh, have family members living with this condition is there's no uh, external signs. So physically, they look normal, and um, at 16, they may actually um, have the developmental capacity of an 8-year-old. So, you know, we call uh, this phase the stretch toddler, so their capability is much less than their years. And the thing that makes that uneven development, even more complex and frustrating for everybody, is that it's, it's a commonly held uh, experience that if somebody is 16, their, their expressive language, um, they may be able to talk at a, a 17-year-old level, but really the speech pathologists show their understanding is more like that of an 8- or 9-year-old. So you have somebody who looks 16, can talk like a 17-year-old, but really has the comprehension of a, an 8- or 9-year-old. Clearly, if your eight-year-old asked you for the keys to the car, you wouldn't be reaching into your pocket for them. But equally, they, they can't manage money, uh, or they manage money like an eight-year-old. And like Tim said, they're easily taken advantage of. Um, so we, we also say there are 10-second kids in a one-second world. Their cognitive pace is slower, 
and that, you know, leads to isolation and so on. And because um, we call it OTM, on the mind, out the, out the mouth, they, they don't have that sensor. They just say what immediately comes onto the tip of the tongue, and, the, and they say it. And this really causes a lot of disruption in their social circles, and they wind up uh, playing and hanging out with younger and younger kids. Um, as, as, as a neighbor said to our daughter one time, it's just too many stories with you. And so, you know, they do feel this stigma of being alone and different, but they, they don't know how to solve it. So as parents, keeping, keeping them connected and keeping them connected to, to community is, is really an ongoing thing that helps maintain the child's self-confidence and their sense of self and place in the world. Now, back to you, Tim, please. It's question of for you of highlighting the most challenging of the challenges that are created for family caregivers of the one family member who is living with FASD. Challenges for family caregivers. Tim? Well, I think some of the challenges that uh, we caregivers face on a, on a daily basis is uh, just the frustration of not being able to fully support uh, our daughters, sons and daughters, um, to a system that is, is really not set up for it. So we have to advocate a little bit harder than maybe some other disabilities. Um, and, and with that comes anger that they don't understand how to support and the feeling of guilt that goes with that, of not being able to fully provide support for my daughter in a way that she needs it. Um, along, along with that goes, you know, even the family dynamics. Um, with, this, with my daughter taking so much time with her, her needs, high level of needs, we sometimes forget the others in the family, and they don't really get equal time. So that becomes sort of something that has to be balanced out. And, and the hurt and sadness, I guess, of, uh, of just seeing my daughter going through pain that is, is preventable with the right kind of support. She doesn't have to go through that. And uh, also advocating hard. I've advocated for probably the last eight years of my daughter's life very hard, and there's burnout that goes with that. Um, you know, feelings of just losing energy and, and tirelessly uh, advocating takes a lot out of you. And uh, endless calls and emails that send out to get her required support, they all take a toll. And physical ailments that a family caregiver goes through, you know, they're trying so hard, and sometimes you forget to take self-care into consideration. And friendships and relationships suffer somewhat. You know, it takes up a lot of time, and, and there's not as much time allotted in the day to maintain those friendships as we, as we should. It's, it's like a roller coaster, and the feelings go up and down, and sometimes there's a lot of joy, and sometimes there's a lot of pain and, and hurt. But that goes along with the territory. Right. David, same question. Highlight for us, please, the most challenging of the challenges created for family caregivers of two family members living with FASD. David? Thank you. I would just like to return to the topic of dismaturity and talk briefly about what it looks like and then what the impact on families is. At 18, the, the general population or the normal kid will be on the verge of independence, where the 18-year-old with FASD was going on 10 needs structure and guidance. Uh, the, 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 the normie, the neurotypical kid can budget their own money, and the 18-year-old going on 10 um, still gets an allowance. So um, the, the adolescence is protracted. There's, there's some um, indication that um, that maturation of the brain uh, that occurs when uh, people hit late adolescence happens, uh, but almost a decade later in FASD. So 
my um, hope and the message I want to give to uh, parents out there is there's some work by Ed Riley that shows this myelination and brain maturation. So hang on, the adolescence may be protracted, but um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. It looks like there's an anatomical basis for the brain to mature. And um, it's really a question of trying to keep your teenager who, you know, teenagers get allergic to their parents, trying to keep them safe in this very vulnerable period of life where they've reached the age majority, they look like they're mature, but really they aren't. And um, you, you um, have this long period of responsibility, and often uh, we found that, that people were pulling away and judging us, like, you know, uh, let him grow up already, let, let him take chances, he's got to learn. Well, no. Um, she fell out of the same tree three times in two years. She didn't learn from that experience. If we let her experience that, she'll be homeless. She'll be on the street. So people can be cruel in their judgment of you, and, and that's one of the things you have to endure is that isolation as a parent because what your kid needs is so different, and yet people don't see it. So I'd, I'd like to uh, bring, bring people's attention to this very hopeful research uh, by Dr. Ed Riley and it's on our www, um, living with FASD slash addictions, where he goes into the science behind why it'll happen, but just later. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Hang on. Uh, they will grow out of it, likely. Right. Now, we've a minute, just a moment or two left. So, Tim, uh, I'd like to go back to you just quickly and say and ask you this. Is the prob- part of the problem that the wider world does not understand enough about what family caregivers are going through, um, the kind of thing that you, you and David have been talking about. Is there enough understanding, in other words, of what you, the family caregivers, are facing as challenges? Tim? In my opinion, absolutely not. I've worked with the professionals in the system, and little um, importance is placed on the caregiver. There's, there's got to be way more input from the caregiver because they have a lot of information. Who, knew, who knows that individual best, right? And, and the caregivers are not really listened to. I think these programs are set up and with the expectation of that individual fit within that. That doesn't work with FASD. Um, you have to know the individual and you have to understand them, and uh, the only way you can do that is directly with them or the caregiver. Now, let me ask David, in your advocacy, and we've only a moment or two for this, do you feel that you've been making progress in getting the recognition for family caregivers of what they are doing, going through, and what their needs are? David? No, um, not really. Like Tim said, the systems are set up, and you're meant to deliver your child to that system and trust them uh, to accommodate. There are, of course, great exceptions. But um, I, I think still universally, uh, like in this province of BC, in 2008, the province signed this wonderful 10-year FASD action plan that laid out all these wonderful things. Uh, Same plan in Alberta, and they're moving ahead on it, but they're not here. And at the end of the day, here we are in BC, they're liberalizing alcohol laws, so it's going to be cheaper and easier to access alcohol, which can only mean there's probably going to be more FASD, and yet nothing's been put in on the other side. So the services that aren't available that are desperately required wound up uh, defaulting. The families have to make up for those services. So I I think the gap really uh, remains 
we see progress, but it's slow. And the role, very often the role of the caregivers, well, they don't go to the conferences. They, they seldom get polled by the researchers. So their, their voice is there, but only faintly. Right. Now, we've reached the time for the break once more, but just my quick comment to you both. Though your answers that you've just given to these questions are very powerful and very persuasive. And then getting the answers out, so to speak, and understood to the broader community, you both made clear, remains a challenge. <laughs> so, we'll t right, well, now we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guests are Tim Windle and David Gerry. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support surprise you ask the experts call toll free right now 1-866-472-5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your questions that's 1-866-472-5787 thank you for calling voiceamerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tim Windle and David Gerry. Our topic is success in advocacy for FASD family caregivers. Now, both of you, let's talk about the types of treatment programs that are needed by family members living with FASD to help them overcome the challenges and the methods you recommend to family caregivers for achieving success in advocating for these treatment programs. So first of all, Tim first. Highlight for us, please, the types of programs, treatment programs that are needed by the one family level 
member who's living with FASD so that they can overcome the most challenging of their challenges, the individual. Tim? Well, I think the most important thing that we have to take into consideration when we're uh, providing treatment or a program is that it's got to be adaptable to the individual and it has to be flexible. That has to be built into the program. Like David said earlier, our, our treatment programs now are not flexible. They're expected to be effective and within the parameters of what they have. That doesn't work with FASD. We have to find out how they learn. We have to ask lots of questions. We have to include them. And as we alluded to before, we have to invite the family caregiver as part of the support plan. So it's a wraparound system that that works uh, for these individuals. And we have to find out how they learn. And we have to uh, provide support in that way for them individually. Um, Jessica and I have worked very hard on certain characteristics of FASD that they're included. I mean, the staff must be informed about FASD. But the real keys are the individuals themselves. We must stop to listen to them and understand their pain, their behaviors, and what causes them. And the only way we can really find that out is through questions. And if we can't get the answers, we need to ask better questions uh, in order to help them. A small example of is, is with my daughter. When I say no to her, um, she gets very, uh, um, you know, angry about that. And she asked me at one point, Dad, instead of saying no, can you say we can talk about it later? Because she gets fixated on the word no. So that gave me a key to help her and support her in a better way. And I would never learn that on the Internet or through different programs. I learned that directly from her. And really the, the really supportive part came is when I understood I need to listen to her. I had all this information, but I couldn't utilize it until I tailor it to her, her needs and her, the way that she needs to be supported. Um, I think Jessica is very good at that, and the proposal and the treatment program we have is working exactly like that, and I'm seeing the benefits for my daughter in very quick results. Now, David, basically the same question for you, the types of treatment programs needed by two family members living with FASD to help them overcome their challenge, challenging challenges. David? I'd like to take the really broad view. Um, this summer there was uh, studies released in the state that show the rate of binge drinking by pregnant women is unaltered. So our current course is like the Titanic headed for the, the iceberg. Um, it goes uh, to parents, the responsibilities for um, their, their, everything their kid needs in life falls on the parent's shoulders. And um, I'd like to see uh, in, in my perfect world uh, an awful lot more effort putting to uh, uh, screening diagnosis so that by the time a baby leaves the hospital, uh, the family will already know about this and be able to take appropriate interventions. So we start right with looking at um, there's way too many people in all these different foster corrections and so on. It's going to require a systemic response. And so the, the responsibility is shared with the families instead of being shoved over onto them as, as it is currently. So in an ideal world, um, we'd identify the child right away. Before they got to school, they wouldn't have to go to school and bomb out and have difficulties and self-esteem issues. We'd already know what, what they needed. Uh, a child I know summarizes very well. Mommy, if I don't learn the way they teach, why don't they just teach the way I learn? And huh. that, that, that adage needs to be taken through to every profession, the law, 
uh, police, lawyers, judges. Um, this is a different way of communication. I believe that um, our prisons have become warehouses for people with FASD. As much as 25% of that population may have FASD because, as a former prison guard said, it's the only social institution we have that can't say no, and this is where so many of our population with FASD wind up. And, of course, the heartbreak is not only for that person, but for the family who's very lovingly uh, raised them. And, of course, they at no point are raising a child to live on the streets and to become addicted and get involved with the law. There's a lot of heartbreak there and a lot of unnecessary cost. Another point that I would uh, make is I've known and know lots of people who are very successful, and somebody in our clinic who had an IQ of 121, she's happily married, but she has a cell phone, and her mother three time zones away has a cell phone in her pocket, and Chelsea calls her mom any time she can't figure stuff out, and her mom has and knows she's on call. She doesn't call a lot, and it's getting less over the years, but having such a uh, fundamental brain chemistry alteration means that parents or somebody has to be there for them. So right now the, the systems aren't there and we need those systems so that parents at some point can retire and, you know, go on to the next life knowing their child will be taken care of. Right. Now that takes me to the next question, starting with Tim, but it's for both of you. Please highlight for us the methods you recommend for achieving success in advocacy by family caregivers caring for family members who lived with FASD. You've both been active and very active and in my view, if I can say this now, successful. Please highlight the methods for others to achieve success in advocacy. Tim? Well, for myself, I, I guess the biggest thing would be is I did, did not give up. I would not take no for an answer. My daughter deserves the support and I'm going to make that happen. And I don't care what it takes. That is my responsibility to help, and that's what I take very, um, you know, that's what I'm going to do. I kept uh, a lot of notes to hold people accountable, to help them to do their job, um, because going against the system is sometimes very challenging. Um, so you get different answers, and as, uh, I had that clear definition of what I was doing, and I kept notes to justify that and hold those accountable. Um, Realize that every person deserves competent, effective support for their challenges. I think that's important that we listen to who we're advocating for and that we respond to them and, and make sure that we're on the same page. And then, like I said, hold the people that are in a position to support them accountable. That's their job. That's what they should be doing. It should be united with caregivers and support and professionals to help this individual and that we have enough education. Be persistent. And also very important to find an ally, somebody to fight with, um, fight your fight with. Uh, in my case, I was at the end of the road. I, I was very lonely, isolated, felt like I'm the only parent doing this, and my child is the only one with this disability. Um, until I met David Gary um, through that Living with FASD Summit, I posed a question to him. We joined forces, and that took me from isolation to empowerment, just joining with him. And then I, I met a lot of contacts through him, and that made the big difference. It inspired me to keep up the fight when I felt like giving up at times. And just talking with him, you know, and he spent a lot of times talking together, that inspired me each time I felt down. So I think it's very important that you find an ally um, that you can help to advocate with. Right. David, 
Same question. Please highlight us for us the methods you recommend for achieving success in advocacy um, by family caregivers caring for family members who live with FASD. David? I think uh, Tim's story is so inspiring. Many people don't, they know that they need service and Tim has uh, just taken the bull by the horn. I'll share a quick story. Somebody else in the FASD community uh, characterized Tim as the parent who didn't know he couldn't. <laughs> and, Great. and um, he has just been uh, relentless in this. And part of it, you know, the real need, every time his daughter bombed out of, uh, of another addiction treatment program, it was, you know, the next time could have been her last overdose. So um, he has been tenacious and successful, and I'm sure a lot of things that he has done uh, paves the way for others, and there will be people, I'm sure, in touch with them asking what to do and how to do it. I'd like to sort of turn the spotlight a little bit on some of the successes in other jurisdictions that uh, we can look to to say, okay, um, we need government to do more. We, we need this to be taken seriously so it doesn't wind up on the shoulders of parents. Um, in Alaska, they found that for every dollar of profit the state made, it cost $37 in services, police, court, hospital, and so on. And we have several billion dollars worth of sales of alcohol in BC. Even a small percentage of that would go a long way to uh, providing respite services, more diagnostic capability, everything. Um, another, another thing that was encouraging was the Canadian Bar Association in 2010 passed a resolution calling on the government to do more. If all of the professional associations across the country were to do that, uh, I think we might start to get some progress because perhaps Tim and I are an ex exceptional. If parents are in the trenches, it's a bit too much to ask them to sort of stop parenting and come out to meetings and become an advocate. And I guess um, housing is a huge, huge concern. Um, and there is, for 20 years, been a very successful operation called Options for Independence. And people can um, Google that up in uh, Yukon. So there are very successful sort of pilot projects or projects that have been going on supporting women with addiction and mums and all sorts of stuff. That um, There's many, many, many examples we can draw on, like Tim, and Tim's uh, program is precedent-setting. Um, that if there was a real will, we could provide across the spectrum appropriate right from, you know, birth to life. We, and, um, you know, given that um, binge drinking is still occurring, we're going to need it, and we're doing it by default anyway. So doing it consciously uh, will give a much, much higher quality of service and a much better um, quality of life for all the families concerned. Right. Now, it's time to take the break again, so we're going to do that now. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Tim Windle and David Gary. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio sharing the burden, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Tim Windle and David Gary. Our topic is Success in Advocacy by FASD Family Caregivers. Now, I want you both please to talk about the things that you would like to do and see done to promote advocacy by family caregivers caring for family members with FASD. First, Tim, what would you like to do to promote advocacy? I would like to do almost anything that would promote and, and raise awareness for FASD. I think being part of this program is one of them. I'm, I'm not great at speaking in public, but I will go outside my comfort zone to raise awareness and promote advocacy. I think it's so important for this segment of the population that can't speak for themselves. That responsibility falls on the caregivers and family members to, to be their voice. Um, we have to do this. This is something that must be done. And uh, I applaud every caregiver out there because I realize the challenges that they face and how hard this can be. But it's very worthwhile when you see the results. Um, I, I guess just to, uh, to I, I, again, stress the importance of, of advocating on behalf of these individuals and to raise awareness in any way we can. So any way that we can raise awareness, I'm part of that, and I would like to be part of that. I think joining forums on the Internet and, and joining forces so caregivers don't get that alone feeling like they're doing it on their own. So the more that we talk about this, the more we raise awareness through programs such as this, I think that is uh, insurmountable in, in, in the way that we can help to, to better support these individuals. Great. David, same question. What more would you like to do to promote advocacy? David? One of the things I've encountered over all these years is um, going for a professional consultation that only to find the, uh, 
uh, person you're consulting with knows an awful lot less than you do. So it can be quite misleading. And so um, one of the things in terms of advocacy I'm suggesting to people is nobody knows your child better than you do. And if something just doesn't seem right, no matter how many letters after their name, uh, you're not obligated to take it on board. There is a survey of 2009 of recently graduated uh, um, psychiatrists and um, they really didn't have a coherent idea of how to diagnose FASD, and 60% of them thought it was still okay to drink in the third trimester. I'm not meaning to beat up your colleagues in the psychiatric profession, Gordon, but that, unfortunately, is all too common for us. We show up at an appointment, and somebody tells you all sorts of stuff, and worse, prescribes medication. I'm suggesting to parents, um, Dan Dubofsky in our 2013 webinar and ask them, why this medication? Why now? What are the side effects? In other words, you as the advocate have to be well informed. Don't just go to anybody, but check out their um, credentials. Find out other parents. Have they actually dealt effectively with somebody who has FASD? And uh, maybe my last tip in terms of advocacy was from a woman who... um, raised five kids in a remote area uh, up island from here, and she said, just keep your bum in the seat. You've gone along to a lot of trouble to get that teenager to the doctor's appointment, and they only have 10 minutes. But the appointment's going to take longer because your kid thinks and talks slower. Don't leave until you've got uh, the answers you came for. So, um, you know, just sort of practical down-home advice from somebody from Cowichan. Right, excellent. Now... Same question for both of you. Last question. What's your message for family caregivers who've just learned that one of their family members is living with FASD? Starting with you, Tim, please. Your message. Um, just understand that you're not alone, that there's a lot of people going through this, and uh, to reach out to others that have walked this path. Um, to expand your knowledge of the disability, to find out as much as you can, talk to, find support uh, groups in, in your area. Um, internet is always good. There's videos available, all kinds of things to educate yourself so you can be in a better position to provide support and, and advocate for your loved one. And to, to really stop and listen to your family member, to understand what it, what is it that they need, what kind of support do they need. They've got the answers. They live with this 24-7. If we ask the right questions, we'll get some pretty amazing answers. Um, right. Join support groups, like I said. Know that you have the strength to advocate. It will come to you. It will come to you naturally. And that your voice and concerns are, are so important in the support plan that is developed for your loved one. And to form alliances, um, like the one I formed with David Gary, I, I spoke to um, earlier. I highly respect this man. He's done a lot in this field, and he's helped me to advocate to be a better father, to be a better parent, to be a better advocate. And he inspires me in just what he's done, and if he can do it, I can do it. And together, we can make a big difference. And also, the alliance I formed with Jessica Hutton-Rantella, she's out of Alberta, but yet we spent hours and hours talking on the phone on how we could make this better, how we could support these individuals better. Her energies... Okay. I'm sorry, Tim, I'm going to have to interrupt you only because no of time, not because of lack of interest. David, <laughs> your message for family caregivers who've just learned that two of their family members are living with FASD. What's your message? Um, that self-care is not a luxury. As parents, we all too often forget to put ourselves on the to-do list. I cite uh, there's a Nobel uh, Prize winning geneticist who has uh, shown 
that there is wear and tear on the um, genome of the genes of caregivers of kids with special needs, and uh, it's it's like five years of of strain and that the stress causes you for every year of life if you don't. And the the good part of that research was by forming um, parent support groups, it really diminished that stress, the, the, the toll stress took on the genes. So it's, it's, it's very real to be there long-term for uh, the child who's going to need you into their adulthood, probably through their life. It's like um, put on your own oxygen mask before you put on your child. You do have to take care of yourself. It's not a luxury. Um, one example from... Um, Last year's uh, Living with FASD Summit, a doctor who lives uh, in the interior has raised um, a child who's now in her mid-20s with FASD. And um, his topic was called Transcending Caregiver Stress, and I'd highly recommend it to people because he has both the, the knowledge of a GP of, of how stress and so on works and the uh, intimate understanding of a family caregiver like he has a funny story about he knows that his child is just so overwhelmed keeping it together. Uh, there's no point in having a conversation as soon as she comes home, but rather they play foosball for half an hour, and then she's ready to talk. Now, so, I'm going to have to stop you, unfortunately, there on that very emotive and powerful point. And what you've both been spelling out very clearly as that is that behind all of this, there is hope. Things can be done. And that's what, in part at least, advocacy is about. Now, I'm going to say, first of all, thank you to you both for sharing with us all that you have done, um, because it's been inspirational. It's also been hopeful, although the challenges are powerful and at times seemingly overwhelming. Um, so all I can say to you is, both of you, keep up the good work because it is good work and you're doing well. And I just want to suggest something. I'd like to support you again in another episode of this show, and that is as follows. There's a question of human rights. In Ontario, the human rights law legislation has been upgraded to be much more respectful of and much more understanding of challenges they call mental health disabilities and also addictions. And it seems to me that the FASD community, family members and family caregivers, also should have human rights. And one of these days, I'm going to talk, want to talk to you on the air about what you think about that situation that kind of assertion I've just made. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research to find out what you, our listeners, have to say about your experiences with family caregiving for serious mental health disabilities. So please email me if you're interested. Our next episode will be the International Association for Family Caregiving for Serious Mental Illnesses. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.